You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. I'm actually going to ask you to cast your eyes up or to close them. As we read this word of God from John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Listening for the word, which is Jesus. In the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him. And without Him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in Him was life. And the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which was enlightening everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, and yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. John testified to him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks ahead of me because he was before me. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is as close as to the Father's heart who has made him known. This is the testimony given by John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed. He did not deny it. He confessed, I am not the Messiah. And they asked him, Well, what then are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. And then they said to him, well, who are you? Let us have an answer so that we can tell those who sent us, what do you say about yourself? And he said, I, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, just as the prophet Isaiah said. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, what am I supposed to do with this? What are you and I supposed to do with this thing that's happened in our life? Fill in the blank about what it is. What am I supposed to do with this fact that I don't feel loved by the people that are in my life? What, what am I supposed to do whenever I feel like I've got this illness, this ailment that no one can help me with. 
What am I supposed to do when I feel like my spouse is checked out? Or as a kid, as a young person, when I feel like no one else understands me, no one gets me, and they don't seem to care. We go through these moments in life that are crises. They're, maybe they're not huge, but they're significant to us. And in these moments of trouble or crisis or difficulty, there's an opening. There's a door that we usually miss. There's something that's there that we could access that we forget about. You know, in those times when we are asked the question, well, how are you doing? I don't want to answer that question. Or we're asked, uh, have you got everything under control? I don't know about that. Or someone asked very personally, well, have you decided what you're going to do about X? In those moments when we're asked those questions that are so big, I want to be able today to give you something in those times that you can walk away with today. Here at First Christian Albuquerque, we are a people that are seeking God diligently. We are accessing fully the power of the Holy Spirit in order to follow Jesus. And so, today, it's not going to surprise you that I begin first and front and center with Jesus. That's how I started last week, and that's how I ended last week. That's what we're all about. And so, in verse 18, this is the last of the verse that we were looking at last week, this testimony of John. What we hear about Jesus is that Jesus came to make the Father known. Jesus came to make God known to us. All this language of God being, or the Word being in the beginning, and being with God, and being God, all of this talk about Jesus, all of this talk about God, all of this talk about the oneness of a God is what we're about. And so I'm not going to review You know, it took the church 450 years of processing, of trying to figure out how is it that Jesus is God? How is it that the Holy Spirit is God? And how can God be one? I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that again. And yet, with all of these truths that took so long to sort out, and yet, here in the Gospel of John, in these opening verses, it's all there about who Jesus is and what He's about. He is to make... God, no. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And John uses the phrase, God, the only Son. Now, two things get put together here. No one's ever seen God. And God is made known through Jesus. And I want to focus in on that because it's giving us something that would be confusing, I think, to most Jews. For one, to call God Father, that's a little little, uh, too intimate. And for another, to say that Jesus is able to call God Father, and that Jesus makes God known, that is difficult. But he gives us a great image. You might notice in your version where it says, make known or show, he says, close to the Father's heart. I don't know how your version translated it, but it's a very unique moment. I told you that, that John, who wrote this gospel, doesn't list his name in here. He calls himself the other disciple or the beloved disciple. I shared that with my best friend, and they were like, oh, that's what I want. I want to be the disciple whom Jesus loved. If only that were my designation. Do you feel that? You want to be like that? Well, this is the image that John is giving to us. 
he tells us that God, that Jesus is as close to the Father as the heart. Wow. In John chapter 13, this beloved disciple that I told you about finally makes that appearance. He's got some little ghost places that he appears where he's an other disciple. But in John chapter 13, this word that means heart or chest, John, the writer of this gospel, is at the Passover meal with Jesus and he is leaning against the chest of Jesus. You know, they didn't, they didn't eat like us in the first century. They had a lower table to the ground, and it's, they were reclining at the table. And so your legs are back away from the table, and it's not uncommon where you would actually be the one to lean next to someone and be able to talk. John, the beloved disciple, is that close. The only two places this word is used is Jesus in verse 18 of chapter 1, where he makes known the heart of God, and John, the beloved disciple, leaning against Jesus' chest. I love this. Because it's the kind of intimacy, not just that Jesus has with the Father, but it's the kind of intimacy that's promised to us. Can I give you a little spoiler? A Holy Spirit spoiler alert? This is just a little mini look, but a lot of us think about the Holy Spirit and we're like, okay, well, where's the Holy Spirit? We've heard John talking about the Word and we've seen God appear, but how and when is the Holy Spirit going to show up? Because it's mysterious. Well, there's exciting things coming. In the Gospel of John, it's kind of an unfolding of when the Spirit appears. And the Spirit shows up in John chapter 1. In verse 32 of this chapter, John the baptizer tells us that he sees the Spirit descend like a dove on Jesus. That's pretty exciting. We get caught up in the Spirit of God descending upon Jesus. But the even cooler part is that the Spirit remains on Jesus, stays with Jesus, abides in Jesus. This is new. We have all three members of the Trinity. The Godhead shows up and remains with Jesus. The Holy Spirit to this point has kind of come and gone. Comes, leaves. But now the Spirit is coming to remain. How many of you caught a plane before? A few. I'm thinking you're just already asleep. You're not raising your hands. When you go to the airport and you watch a plane, the planes come in, there are lots of planes that come and go. And you're like, yeah, that's not mine. There's a plane. Yeah, that's one taken off. That's not mine. But then there's the one plane that you're getting on. You're going to remain on, that you get on. And now in this moment, with the coming of Jesus, at the resurrection of Jesus, this Spirit becomes available for us to remain with us. And so we kind of get to wink to one another and say, oh yeah, we know. Now after Jesus' resurrection, the Spirit is here. It is with us. It is among us. And in this little mini-teaser, in chapter 14 at that same dinner where they're reclining at table, Jesus says, I'm going to give you the Spirit. The Father's going to send the Spirit to remain with you. Or in John chapter 7, verses 38 and 39, Jesus says, after my resurrection, the Spirit is going to fill your heart like water. It's going to flow out of you like water. The Spirit that remains. Well, our story started with John the Baptist's testimony. And I want to get into the story that be picks up in verse 19 about what John the Baptist is up to. Because he's showing us deeply about what this is all about. 
John the Baptist is preaching about the arrival of the Word, the coming of the enfleshed Word of God. And whenever you tell people that God's going to show up, you know what they do? They show up. (laughs) They want to see, even if it's out in the desert. And so that's what happens. John the baptizer draws a crowd, and he, he draws the particular attention of the Jewish authorities who come and want some answers. And their question is pretty simple. Who are you? And John, John the baptizer, expresses it this way. I will confess, and I cannot deny, I will confess I am not the Messiah. Like, okay, we know who you are. Well, are you Elijah? That prophet that's supposed to come before the Messiah. No, I'm not Messiah. Well, are you the prophet? Well, the prophet? Who's the prophet? Well, the prophet of the Old Testament is, of course, Moses, the greatest leader of the Old Testament, the one who led the Israelites out of Egypt, led them through the Red Sea, led them up Mount Sinai, led them to the door of the Promised Land. That's the prophet. Are you Moses? No, I'm not Moses. Well, who are you? Tell us something about yourself so that we can go back and tell our bosses who you are. And John says, I a voice calling in the desert. You probably noticed that I kind of scratched out the am. For those with ears to hear, I didn't put it in there because it's not in the translation. I, the voice. John is the voice crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the paths for the Lord. There's no, there's no uh, verb there. He is not the light. He's not these prophets. He's not any of them at all. He's simply a witness who's about making a straight path, making a way for people to find the light to Jesus, the one who is the enfleshed Word, the Jesus through whom grace and truth were birthed, the Jesus that gives us more and more grace, truckloads of grace. Moses was great. In verse 14 earlier, he said, yeah, Moses gave you the law, But grace and truth were born. They arrived through Jesus Christ. Sometimes we get confused. We think that the word that's mentioned here in chapter 1 is the Bible. That's one and the same. Uh, No, that wouldn't work. It's not in the beginning was the Bible. No, no. It's in the beginning was the living word. Jesus, God existed with the Spirit together. And there are times when when Jesus pushes hard against the Jews, pushes against those who might say, well, we just need to restore Judaism. We need to bring back the Torah. And he says the Torah is insufficient alone. In fact, in John chapter 5, verse 39, he says, yeah, you search the Scriptures. You search those writings because you think you'll find life in them. We're not people of the book. We are people of the living Word of Christ who is the eternal life. And he pushed them to say, don't just search the Scriptures looking for life in them. Those Scriptures point to me and who I am. And it's at this point we draw our deep breath. Because you're like, okay, what? Where is this going? What is this all about? How does this land for us? We're in a moment of crisis, Brady, and you're talking about the Word and about Jesus and about the arrival of the Spirit. Well, I have three very important things to share with you today. Three important things that when you're asking those difficult questions of when God seems to be absent, when you're going through trouble and difficulty and suffering, and and here's the first one. 
I am not God. Say to yourself right now, I am not God. I, I didn't hear you at all, really, so try it again. Say it a little louder. Say it to somebody else's self. I am not God. Very good. I'm not fully in control. I don't have the answers to all of the problems. I don't have everything together. I am not God. There are things that are outside of my ability. Now that might seem simple, but it's important to know who you are not, and you are not God. You know your own weakness, your own darkness, your own limitations. And being able to say this in the midst of difficulty and trouble is very, very important because we must admit that we're not God. It's not self-deprecation. It's not tearing ourselves down. It's a recognition that we can't solve our problems, let alone the problems of other people. In fact, sometimes we think we know the answer to the problem. And yet the problem remains. And the problem, even though we think we know the answer, the problem is that we are trying to be God. And so, Say to ourselves, I'm not God, and quit trying to be God. Let go of the reins, because God reigns. You get to resign. You no longer have to be God. And we get to reach out to the real God. And yet, so many of us are, are like, no, 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 you know, I'm, not, I'm not God. I just play God on television with my own life. And some of the answers that we tell ourselves, you know, I'm not pretentious, I, I don't, I'm not a know-it-all, I don't have everything together. And yet, come on, between you and me, seriously, we function this life as if we know something. We've got some expertise. Your gifts, your spiritual maturity is probably often underappreciated. It's not recognized. And so sometimes we don't recognize that those things that we have that get overlooked by other people we still got this problem. And the problem is about not letting God reign. There's another way that we could go with it where we're like, well, why would I trust that God? The God that seems invisible, incompetent, doesn't show up. He's incapable of solving my problems. Why would I want to do that? And so we're kind of like a child who might want to just disown our family, just walk away from our own family, our parents, because they don't have it together why would I want to trust this God who doesn't have life together? Well, I can tell you why. Why you should trust Jesus over all others. Because Jesus entered into this world. He knew he was going to face rejection from his family. He knew he was going to be abandoned and alone. And he entered and he remained. He stayed. Took up permanent residence. Not as Jesus, but later as the Holy Spirit. The reason why we can trust is because God is remaining. He's inviting us onto the plane with Him. And it's time for us to surrender. To surrender all these tools that we have of playing God. The devices that we have. To surrender up all kinds of things that we use to numb ourselves. Our anxieties. The difficulties that we face. Our desire to fix our certainty about what the results should be. And we get naked before God and we say, I'm not God, you're God. Second thing, being able to do that, being able to say that I'm not God and mean it, 
allows us to become children of God. In verse 12, that's what the power is that we're given. We're given the power to become a child of God. To trust in Jesus. To rely upon the Holy Spirit. To find that we are not the one in charge. And let me just tell you, it's really reassuring when you begin to realize that you're not God and you begin to act like it. It can be quite comforting to trust God not in a childish way, but in a childlike way where you rely upon God to pull things together in your life, to let be, God be the one that's ruling over your life, to let God be the provider for you. Whenever we surrender in this way, circumstances, people, the difficulties, it changes things. And I know sometimes our rejecting of becoming a child of God, our rejecting of God comes out of defiance where we really are shaking our fist and saying, yeah, there's just too much bad that you've done, God. I don't want anything to do with you. Sometimes that rejection of God is just pure distraction. We don't have time for worship. Every week, really? We don't have time for a life of worship. Every day, really? I, I don't know. I don't know feel up for group this time. Or what about reading verses of Scripture to allow them to illuminate us? I, I just don't have time for that. And yet, I'm just talking about a few verses of Scripture. You know, like maybe the longest text message that you get today? Maybe a little shorter than your shortest email? Just a few verses of Scripture that draw you into what God is doing. What about just stopping in your day to pray and surrender to God? To turn life over to God. When we ask those questions that I was saying at the front, do you have everything under control? No, I don't. I'm giving them to God. And here's how. Have you decided about that big thing in your life? No. But I'm praying. I'm searching the Scripture. I'm seeking counsel of wise people that are following Jesus. How are you doing? Terrible, actually. But... I'm confident in counting upon God to provide for me. Whenever we fire ourselves as God and we recognize that there's only one God, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, people need to see that in our lives. Our bosses, our kids, they need to see us being children of God. Those that are relying intently and trusting upon God. If we're going to if we're going to get honest, it's really easy to lose God as the center of our life, to just overlook that. We get a little bit of praise and we think, well, okay, yeah, I kind of have this thing together. We face a chore or a problem and we're very occupied with it and we don't think to offer that to God. It's easy to lose God as the center. All right, the third thing. So first off, you're saying to yourself, I'm not God. The second thing is, you're saying, I'm wanting to become a child of God, to really depend upon God in a childlike way. The third one, again like John the Baptist, is to give witness to the light. Give witness to God. Speak and point to God everywhere you can. Idolatry is really just the simple task of putting anything in the place of God, whatever it might be. Your success, your image, your ability to get a job done, your ability to keep the peace, being able to control a certain behavior. Idolatry is putting those things in the place of God. And yet, 
You'll say, yeah, I know, I'm, I'm not God. But Brady, I got a business to run. I know I'm not God, but I have a family to feed. I have people that depend upon me. I have responsibilities. Again, I will say, you're not the light. You are not God. You are not the one. You get to point to God. John tells us what, John the baptizer tells us what, what our role is to straighten paths. If we're not God, if we're pointing to God, all we do is we straighten the path. We don't make it perfect. We don't get every bump out of the road, but we're straightening the path. Sometimes it's getting us off the road so that others can travel that path and get to God. We're not focused in on our mistakes or the mistakes of others, but we are focused in on straightening. And what this looks like is in the crisis of our marriage, when things are difficult, we're recognized that we made a covenant. We made a covenant that's not just to the person that we're facing, but it's a covenant to God. That our responsibility in how we serve and love God is how we're able to express that love of God in our love of our mate, with our families, with our kids. Our kids need to see us dislodge from the fact that they might be God themselves. Now, that might be confusing. I didn't say it very clearly. Our kids need to know that they're not God. That's one of the most important things that you can teach your kid, that they can't have every toy that they want. Or even just take eating. You can't let your kid believe that they can eat whatever they want. It's dangerous. It's not healthy. It's not good for you. You can't eat whatever you want. You also can't eat whenever you want. Just whenever you want to eat, it's time to eat. You also can't eat wherever you want. There are certain places to eat. There are times to eat. Certain things that we can eat. And this dislodges them. I guess I'm getting a little too comfortable here. I'm getting too personal with folks. But this is an important lesson for all of us to learn. We do our children a disservice if we don't help them see that they are not God. It's, the true, it's also true in our workplace as well. We tend to think, I've got these jobs to accomplish. I've got this work to perform. And we interact with all of these different people. And yet, each task that we have, each interaction with other people that we have is an opportunity to point people to God. A lot of times it's to the fact that we're not God, that we don't have it all together. And having that kind of understanding of humility, of childlike status, actually is disarming to a lot of people. But they need to see what it's like for people that are children of God to live like it in the world. You know, when we look at all that what we've said today, if I'm not God. I want to become a child of God. I want to give witness to God. We still come back to these crises that we have. This negative space, this place of absence that sometimes it feels like there is no God. And yet John and John the baptizer, both of them come into this space and provide a negative confession. Where John tells us in a negative way, I am not the Messiah. I am not the light. I am not Moses. I'm not the prophet. I'm a voice. That negative confession is a positive confession of who really is the life light. That is a positive confession of who we can cling on to. 
It also points us to the fact that we're able to be a child of God, to recognize that we're a dependent in this relationship, and we are solely dependent upon God. And that enables us at every turn in our life to point to the goodness of God. I mean everything. Whenever you get to have your favorite beverage of choice, when you hear your friends laugh, when, you're, when you get it on a test, when you catch a beautiful mountain view with snow on it, these moments, these little things need to be pointed to as from God. We give credit to God for the good things that are in our life at every turn. We are witnesses of the light. That enables us to reach out to this life light in a positive way. Let's pray. Eternal God, maker of heaven and earth, we boldly confess that we are not God, that you are. And we ask, God, that you'll help us to become children of yours. Can we be the beloved disciple? Can we be the people that you will fill with your spirit? God, would you enable us to be able to give voice in our words and our actions to point to you that you are the light of the world. And we pray this through Jesus who came, who lives, who reigns with you in the Holy Spirit as one God now and forever. Amen. Thank you.